It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm your host, Scott Mitchell, and of course, uh, this is a fun show where we actually take the helmet off and peel back the layers of the onion and find out what ticks in people's minds, right? The person behind the mask, the person behind the helmet. Uh, a, a mind is a dangerous thing, and we like to find out how dangerous they are. So I'm super excited about our show today. Of course, we have uh, Yogi Roth, who is uh, from the Pac-12 Network. Uh, Yogi, of course, is he's written books, he's produced uh, films and uh, and shorts. He's uh, uh, what else have you done, Yogi? Anyways, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you for having me, sir. Uh, pleasure to be on. You probably don't know this, but I bet you hear it a lot. But I grew up watching you when I was in high school, being like, "Man, he competes so hard." And I didn't know much about like Utah football then. Like I was in the middle of Pennsylvania, right. tiny town of 2,500 people. Didn't know I'd find my way out here, fall in love with Sac Lake City. But I, I have always enjoyed uh, meeting you in person because it always reminds me back to the days when football was so pure. So you are, thank you, by the way. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a small town too. And uh, I grew up in Utah and, and uh, I got drafted by the Miami Dolphins. I went into Coach Shula's office, you know, and I was, I was starstruck. You know, I met Dan Marino for the first time, you know, he's a pit, he's a Pittsburgh guy. And let's go. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm, you know, I was just like, I can't believe that I'm here. And when uh, I even told Coach Shula that, you know, cause it was, it was so surreal being in his office. And then, you know, for four years I sat, Shula sat on one side, Marino sat on the other and I just soaked it all in, you know, for four years. It was, it was really quite an amazing experience uh, for me. But, uh, I, I, you know, my career, I mean, I, I love sports. I love what I've learned about myself in sports. And, and, and really, this, this podcast is, a, is about that. It's about you have a story, you have an experience, and, and I'm fascinated by that. You, you, you talk about, you, you love to tell stories and I'm curious where where that like desire, that passion actually came from. I can remember it like yesterday, to be honest with you. Um, when I was a kid, like many kids or adults listening, you had these dreams. And I grew up in a town, as I referenced, and there was four of us that played everything together. Everything. And when we would play, let's call it basketball, before we would tip off, it was, I'm Jordan, I'm Magic, I'm Bird, I'm Barkley. Right when it was football, it was, I'm Rice, I'm Montana, Which what, whatever it was. I was Barkley in basketball. <laughs> I love the Sixers. Is there a reason why you were Barkley? Was the, you know, well, I, I couldn't. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of liked his physicality. He was undersized for his position, right? And uh, I was a Sixers fan, and we would get Prism growing up. HBO and Prism were like right. the premier channels, but for whatever reason, we like. Prism showed up. We didn't pay for it, but it was on our TV. So I had like the Sixers lineup memorized. Johnny Dawkins, Hurdy, Hersey Hawkins. Like, I, I could go down Armin Gilliam, like up and down the roster, and Barkley was there. And I just kind of fell in love with the scrappiness. 
of him. But I, I can remember, to answer your question, I was 10 years old. I was in fourth grade, and I was going to basketball practice, and our coach said, hey, everybody, Yogi's going to get his MBA when he gets older. And I said, no, 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 coach, I'm playing in the NBA. I'm playing for the Sixers. And he laughed at me. And he probably meant it as a compliment. And at the time, I didn't know what NBA meant. And I came home, and I was so angry. I played, and I shot all night. And it was the first night that uh, I found a journal, and I started to write. And I have every journal behind me in my uh, creative space here from college up until now. And it's been my confidant. It's been the trusted source because that was the first time somebody shut down my dream. And what I learned is as a writer, I could express through story and no one was going to turn me down. And it became my safe space and, and it still is. Um, it's interesting. You know, I, I've kept journals as well, uh, to, you know, throughout my, I think, I think I was 12 when, when I got my, my first journal and, and, uh, it, it, it's amazing how, uh, how powerful that is and to draw on those experiences. And, and, uh, I, you know, I, um, um, I, I grew up with this notion that like like you had to succeed right and and like if you didn't like like you failed like there was something wrong with you so for me i was driven i want to i want to play professional football i want to be a pro bowler i want to win the super bowl i want to be in the hall of fame and, and kind of thing and, and as i've gotten older in my life and as i look back and really it's on those journals and wow. and the and the thoughts and the and the the emotions and the experiences and what i learned about who i was I realized it's not about an, a destination. It really isn't. It's it's your life is this rich tapestry of experiences that like draw out who you are, you know. And 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 so as I've gotten older, I've been able to kind of go, hey, uh, man, that experience or that moment, boy, that was so so priceless to me. Because people ask me, they go, well, you know, what was your favorite moment in the NFL? And I'm like, all of it. You know, I'm like, I'm, I'm like, it was just like at this point, you know, I would, you know, so well, what was your favorite team? Like every team, you know, it just kind of, kind of that whole experience, but it was, it was looking back on those journals. It's so funny that you do this and have done this, but for me, my experience with it was just looking back on, on those journals and, 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 and because I, it helped me to remember and really get back in what those moments were and how I really really felt in that in that moment what do you think led you to you referenced the goal was always to win or to find success like looking back on maybe your journals or your life now as a young dad I'm curious what led you that way and did you think that was healthy what led me to be driven to to succeed yeah um well it is my grandpa yeah (laughs) it's like, I think it's a curse. Like really there, there have been, there've been times for me in my life where, wait, who's interviewing who here, by the way, (laughs) it's it's totally cool. This is good. I like just having a conversation. So um, like my grandpa was my hero. I love my grandpa. Right. And he, and he had 31 grandchildren. He had eight children, you know, big family. And, and, and I believed that I was his favorite. And and I'll I'll to my dying breath say I was his favorite, but I have I have cousins and I have 
you know, they're all, they all say the same thing, right? And so, cause that's, that was the beauty of my grandpa. He had to, so we had cabins on these, on this uh, lake. And so all my aunts and uncles, it was really cool how they had it. And he fished twice a day. So you fished early in the morning and in the evening. And that, and that, and that's the only time, like the fish were not in the lake in the middle of the day. Uh, you, you fished a certain way and you had to be the first person on the lake. And, and I remember, and I'm just a little kid, and I remember getting up with my grandpa at 4.30 in the morning to get in a boat and go out on this lake. And he's like, and he's grumbling, you know, shh, gotta be quiet, you're gonna wake people up. Oh, you're gonna be a person. And we get out on the lake and his buddy would be out there. And he's like, Brig? Cause that was his name. He said, Brig, are you out here? And my grandpa would swear under his breath, you know, cause, and so my grandpa was just, he, and, and I see it, I see it in my siblings. I see it in my aunts and uncles. There was just this, it, it's, I don't know. It's, it, and so I was, I was just in my life driven to, I had to just, I just had to do it. I had, and, and here's where it changed. Um, I was playing basketball after I retired at a, y, a YMCA, I'd go three days a week, super competitive basketball, really good players. And I almost got shot because, because the game got so heated. I mean, a guy left the building and went out in the parking lot to get a gun to shoot me. Dang. Because like I had to win, right? And it just, right. you know, and so, so it was, and it's just like, there. I would have never made it in the NFL if I didn't have that. Uh, but I couldn't survive my life if I didn't learn how to control it and learn how to kind of, kind of manage it. So it's, it's been a blessing and a curse for sure. There's no, there's no question. Yeah. I think a lot of elite performers have similar narratives. I listened to a podcast once a year from Kobe and I love it. It's with Jay Shetty and he talks about storytelling and right. he's like, in my, you know, latter years, he's like, I learned that I needed to be an empathetic and compassionate teammate because I was just, I was just demanding and I was right. just hyper competitive. And, and I think that's something that I would love our current athletes to be hearing. I look back on my career and like, there wasn't a lot of joy. Like it was a lot of fight. It was a lot right. of, I'm going to, you know, let's go line up. Like I got something to prove. I've two boulders on both shoulders. And and I'm bummed about that on one hand because I I know in real time I didn't have as much fun as I did when I was saying I was Barkley. And I think you can do both. And and I say it because I saw it with Pete Carroll. I saw it with him. Now he's an anomaly. He's a very unique head coach, clearly. Um, but there's a lot of times when I became a young coach at SC where I was like, God, if I had him as a coach. I might still be playing because he would have breathed life into my dreams versus where I was. My coach was always like, it was Walt Harris, who I'm still tight with. He'd always be like, you're going to be a great coach. You're going to be a CEO someday. You're going to do all these things other than play. I was like, dude, you, you can't extinguish the dreams of a, of a player when they're playing because everybody wants to play as long as they can. And I, and I honor that now with athletes and try to give them knowledge to say, well, you can go play in Europe. You can go play in Australia. I went play in Australia. You, can, you don't have to if you don't make it to the NFL. Just go into a deep depression. You know, you can you can deal with it and, and come to grips with a different relationship around sport and, and competitiveness. 
See, I had Coach Shula. I hated him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he just he was he he. I always say he told you what you want, what you needed to hear, not what you wanted to hear. And I mean, you, and you and like Marino would be like, "I'm really sorry." Uh, he would apologize after the fact. He goes, "I'm just I'm just ultra competitive. You know, I just I don't mean it." Uh, you know, and he was actually just a great guy, you know, but, but on the field, I mean, just fierce. And and I would tell people, I said, the best, the best game, the best entertainment is watching the coaches and players interact on the sideline, <clears throat> a whole lot more going on there. I mean, you, you know, just the conversations and the volatility of everything was, was, was pretty, pretty remarkable. So I, you know, you talk about, don't extinguishing the dream right and and tom brady just just retired and people are like should he retire when should someone retire uh you know when when do you extinguish the the dream you know when 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 does it happen when do you think it should happen well i think dreams change you know for, for me and this will sound i don't know if it'll be pathetic or relatable but i slept with a football from 13 to 22. I didn't have a relationship. Like my relationship was the craft, was the game. I came to LA and started coaching and it was kind of the same. And people ask me all the time, like, why'd you leave coaching? Like you're on a rocket ship at the time, you know? Right. And I look at all the young guys that are suitably my age head coaches, right? In the league right. or wherever. Um, and I say, the reason I stopped was because I started falling in love with 6 a.m. to midnight. So. As I, as I referenced earlier, when I finished playing at Pitt, I went and used the, my scholarship in the spring. I had already graduated. I postponed graduation and I studied abroad, but I had nothing to study. So I went to Australia and played Australian football, American football in Australia. Our quarterback was 40, our center was 18, and I felt like Larry Fitzgerald. It was awesome. And I got to see the world and it wasn't just about Pitt football or the Big East at the time or whatever my daily consumption with a ball was. It was like... People spoke different languages, had different accents. I could travel all over this amazing continent. I was learning how to surf. I was falling in love with the ocean. I had these different relationships. And then when I moved to Hollywood, I started taking acting classes. I started meeting people from different circles. And when that was pulling against, hey, you're falling in love with sleeping in the office. I was sleeping in the office three, four nights a week. I was getting a master's degree because I was going to leverage SC at the time. I knew what that place could do. You could get a degree for free of that magnitude for your career at some point. And I sat there four years later, and, and that's why I wrote a book about it, uh, a book called From PA to LA, because I was like, I needed to chronicle my time as a coach. And I knew going into our bowl game against Penn State that that was it. Like, I could have gone to UW with Sark and been 26-year-old quarterback coach in the pack, not knowing what that was at the time, but looking back, I know what that could have meant now. But I just wanted to see the world. I wanted to travel you know, in February, every year, I would go for a month to another country. And I started falling in love with that as a relationship. So I think my dream kind of changed. My dream was I wanted to see the world. And then it began to crystallize as I got older and got into broadcasting and filmmaking where it was, I want to seek and uncover humanity around the globe. But man, I love the power of sport. And when I roll a ball, ball out in India or in the Democratic Republic of Congo or in Cuba, like the language or the politics don't matter. Play, play therapy is, is, is a vogue term now, is what jumped out. And that became my next relationship. And then on a trip in 2016, 17, I got a film coming out this, this year about it. I sailed around the tip of South America 
because of a journal I read as a kid, very dangerous sea called Cape Horn. And I sat there as we rounded and I said, okay, now I'm ready for my next dream, which is a family. Two years later, I walked onto a plane and I met my wife. So I, when do you shut it down? And I don't know, but I loved what Brady said about it's time for me to be a, you know, more of a husband, uh, more of a father. Like I, I, I felt, I'm sure in him, it was like, all right, a new dream is, has arrived. I'm curious um, because in, in my experience with sport, like I get the relationship because I had that opportunity. So I got done playing football. And, and it was dramatic when it ended for me. Like, I cried. It just mm. sobbed. Like, I was like, man, this is over. It's done. How did it end? Did you, did you get cut? Did you so get hurt? So I, I had I played 12 years. Yep. And then I just didn't get re-signed by anyone. I, w- I was supposed so So Tom Moore, uh, who, who was uh, with, with Indianapolis, with, with Peyton Manning, that offense they ran is what we ran in Detroit. It actually started in Detroit. So we had... Wow. Um, and, and, and Tom got fired. Uh, and, and, and so he goes, he goes to Indianapolis a few years later and I'm like, well, shoot, you know, and I mean, you know, it was an amazing offense for us. And anyway, so I, I, I go, I, I end up my career. I'm supposed to go to Indianapolis and Tom was mad because he thought I got him fired, which wasn't, wasn't the case. So he was all mad at me at the time. He's like, no. And so that was just kind of the end, you know, it was just, it was just like one year I had a contract the next year it was over. I worked out for two years thinking, well, someone will sign me somewhere. And they just, it just never happened. And I was, I was, I actually woke up getting ready to uh, go work out. And I, I went to this park. I had this really, really amazing workout that I, I would do and which I still think is amazing. I'd, I'd love to tell you about it, but not on this part. It's the coolest thing okay. in the world, how, how I train because, because it was all about teaching your mind how to see and react in a moment. And I had a way where I developed it. We did all this movement, you know, like off platform throwing was kind of, I did that, you know, my whole entire, all, all these things that anyways, we'll, we'll talk about later. Uh, and so I just was at that moment. I was like, no one's gonna, no one's gonna sign me. This is over. And I had that moment where I said, okay, what do, what do you want to do? Hmm. Like, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? And, and, and in the moment, I was scared to death because all I'd known is football. And it was the only muscle in my body I used, right? And, and, I, and, and, and I, I did it, you know, I, I, and it was an amazing journey, but I'd never done anything else. Or I'd never found out parts of, of my, my personality, who I am. And, and when I decided that I could do anything, except play football, then life got really exciting for me. Cause then it was like, okay, let's, you know, let's go on this adventure. Let's figure out who you are, what you want to do with your life. Because I had a chance, I had a chance to get into coaching. And I knew that I would, I would go into coaching like I did football. And, and that was the relationship. Like I get the six to midnight, the whole thing. Totally. And, and, and so my question to you from all of what you said, because I think it's cool, did you consciously know that or did you just kind of intuitively think, okay, I need, I need to, for, for my soul, for, my, for, my, for just who I am inside, I need to go in a different direction. Because for me, I have loved 
not playing football. Like I've loved discovering who I am. Uh, and I've, I've had a much, much richer life from the moment I stopped playing football uh, to now than I did when I played football. Like it was cool. Like, don't get me wrong. I mean, like, and then it was amazing. Like it's, it was, but it was kind of a one, one note thing. And I just found so many other, other fascinating, beautiful things from not playing football. And I couldn't watch it. You know, I couldn't watch it for years. I hated it. I hate, I just like, I, there were nights I, I couldn't sleep over it, but man, I just found this beautiful journey. So I'm, I'm just curious, did you, did you consciously do that? Or was it just something you just kind of instinctively just said, I'm going to be better off going a different direction? Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna bring you on my podcast, because I want to hear your answer to everything you just laid out for me, uh, of what yeah. you've what you've been surprised by, from what you've learned about yourself. I, I think for me, man, I'll never forget two big moments. I was 15 years old, I'm watching ESPN. And Kevin Rogers is the OC, I think at VaTech at the time. And they show a picture of him up in the booth. And the broadcasters, there's a Thursday night football game, and they say, Kevin Rogers, this guy sleeps in the office. He's there every night. And I remember at 15 being like, that would be me. Like, or, or It was more like, that will be me. Because yeah. I always wanted to be a head coach. I still do. I tell my wife all the time, like, my dream job is still to one day be the head coach of Pitt. Or maybe now it's like San Diego State or so, something like that. Because it's like near the ocean. Uh, but th that was a huge moment for me because it, it reared its head again at – 26 or so, I was offered uh, to co coach at the Raiders. Uh, I had a chance to go with Sark at Washington, as I referenced. And I really wanted to be the quarterback's coach full time and keep growing into an OC at SC with Pete because everybody was kind of rocketing off. And I was still one of the guys that was a core staff member. And I called my dad and he goes, Hey, just listen to your gut. So I go to the beach in Hermosa Beach at the time, and I'll never forget sitting on like a big sand dune, probably this time of year, right? They have these huge dunes to protect like tidal waves. And I'm up there and I start looking at my gut and I'm like, yo, like, <laughs> when, when are you going to start talking? <laughs> I need to hear you. And I was torn. I'm talking like I made every plus and pro and con sheet you could dream of. Go to the NFL. Randy Moss was in the Raiders at the time, right? go to UW, be that guy, go, whatever the, the options were. And ultimately, when I went back home, I just sat in it. And every ounce of me was like, you have to see the world. And I walked into, at the time, a guy named um, Johnny Morton, who most recently was coaching with the Raiders. I don't know if he got retained or not. But he was our pass game coordinator. And I walked in, he goes, so what do you think you're going to do, man? I said, well, Johnny, like... Wait, wait, Johnny Morton as in the SC wide receiver, Johnny? No, not, not that Johnny okay. Morton. This is a guy who... We he played at, Detroit. Yeah, this guy played at uh, Western Michigan. I think he ran like 4-3 okay. at the Pro Day or Combine. Played in the NFL for a minute. Drafted by the Raiders. Uh, but I walk into his office, and he goes, all right, what are you thinking? I said, well, Johnny, just like this. I got a chance to keep coaching. It would be really cool. Be one of the youngest guys in the pack. Like, work with Sark. It would be a blast. And he goes, okay, what's the other option? I said... The other option, I got this plane that leaves in like a week and it's going to take me all around South America. I'm going to start in Easter Island, hang out with these Moai. I don't really know what I'm going to do. I got like six, seven grand. I'm just going to see what happens for the next couple months. And he goes, yo, did you listen to how you just spoke? Because it's not even close. The energy you spoke about one option versus the other. 
and I did not hear myself, right? And there's this phrase in psychology that says that the subconscious becomes conscious. And oftentimes it's negative. But in that instance, my subconscious was saying, you got to see the world. I just didn't recognize it because you're so entrenched in football. That had been my life. I'm thinking, I got to just go do it. And when I sat back from that, like that was my gut moment of like, yeah, like you just haven't been listening to yourself. Doesn't mean I don't love football. Doesn't mean I don't love it with everything I got. I do. My greatest treasure is Saturday is calling games. I hope to do it for at least 20 more years. But I've noticed and we're able to recognize earlier that the world's very big and there's a lot out there to see. And, and at my nature, I'm an explorer. I'm a risk taker. I want to see things. I want to have an impact. And when you only coach four quarterbacks, I think that impact can be very deep and can be lifelong. Like you've had great coaches like that. Um, but it, there's only a few people. And I look at it like, I want to have an impact on the planet. And I could do it through story. Maybe I don't have that intimate relationship with everybody I'm around. But I, I think I could share more. I think I could learn more. So I got to go. And I've gone twice a year since then for about a month at a time to a different part of the world. And now we take our kids, we take our family, and we go explore. And that to me has become, you know, my language of the world, which is to go seek. My uh, kind of bucket list is to actually take a sailboat and sail around the world. And Let's I go. Follow all, I follow all of these, like, people that do it. And yeah. I love it. I, I, I absolutely, I have a sister who lives, uh, so she works for Nike. She's in the Netherlands. She's retiring and she's retiring to Portugal and oh. she's buying Harleys and, and they're going to travel through Europe, seeing everything on a Harley. Yeah. So we were talking, she's going, you got to get the sailboat, come to Portugal. We'll, we'll sail through the Mediterranean, the whole thing. And so... <laughs> Well, you know, life's amazing, right? I mean, where some of our experiences and there's a lot of adages, right? You are the sum of the five people you spend the most time with, et cetera. Um, I, and I think ultimately, I don't know if you feel this way, but, you know, I'm my mom's a refugee, my wife's first generation. Like we talk often that like our subconscious sometimes is living in scarcity. You know, are we saving enough for our kids and our future? And we really try to be present about flipping it and living in abundance, you know, and being like, well, why not? We could find a way to go. Like this summer, we're going to go to Italy and Spain for a month. We'll figure it out. Like, it's not easy, but we want that life experience versus, ah, rainy day. You know, like we've all heard the the, right. the fable, like the rainy day happens and, you know, you die a week into it. Like, I, I ain't trying to live like yeah. that. My, yeah, my sister's fascinating because she just, she worked for Blue, Blue Cross, Blue Shield. And she goes, where's the ultimate place to work? And she, she goes, it's Nike. She applied for a job, 28,000 people applied. She got the job uh, and she's been with Nike for 20 some years. And she just goes, it's been, it's been amazing, but it's kind of that thing, you know, just, just kind of getting out of your comfort zone, getting out of maybe a norm that we kind of put on ourselves and, and you find so much more, you know, from, from that. Um, Bro, I feel this, like this, I, I hope my boys remember this quote for the rest of their lives for me which is we often go to travel to see a specific thing but every time we end up seeing ourselves in a different light yeah and i just believe that from being in 30 plus countries like you got to see the world 
Got to see. I mean, you you saw it, right? The NFL, that, that locker room was different, right? Football was different. And then since then, you've explored a bunch of different other worlds. Like, that's why I'm so curious of what was like that unexpected gift that showed up for you that doesn't if you continue to coach or if now you're a GM or who knows where you would be today if you stayed in the game. It, it, yeah, it's it. Oh, we got to do this. So we, we got to figure this out. I mean, I don't care if I'll just call you on the phone and talk to you because, uh, yeah, it's uh, and I'm happy to come come on your, your podcast and talk about it. It's it's it was it's been quite a journey, very cool journey for me. Uh, you know, you were talking about having this influence, right? And and uh, and and this rich experience in life. And I had a friend. He's so he was a chief of staff for two senators. And he, um, he, um, I, I had this crazy notion that I was going to run for, for, for the Senate, like yeah. in the state of Utah. And I just okay. talked to him about it. I just kind of woke up and I was like, yeah, you know, I want to, I, I want to, I want to be this agent for change and be a part of the solution in our country. I, I just don't like the, the disconnect, the discord that's, that's kind of going on with people and, we're just mad at each other all the time, you know? And it's like, we just, we just need to get along. And he said, look, he said, first of all, he said, I think you could win. But second, uh, you would be one person. Like, and and you, you have one vote and you have this little tiny influence. And he goes, I'm not trying to dissuade you this from this, but I just want you to realize uh, what, you know, what you're limiting yourself to if you do this. And he said, um, I was in the office of someone really famous and, and he told me the name, and I'm not gonna say it here, but if I did, you'd know who it was. And he says, this guy has, he has a website and he's out in the world and he's one of the most influential people in the world and he has more influence on the narrative that's going on in our world than if you were a Senator with this one vote. And he said, there's, there's a much bigger world, much bigger opportunity to 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 have that that change and to you know have a much richer experience in life than if you were doing that. it was just it was interesting when you're talking about being a coach and how there are all these other things in our lives that I think I think kind of run run that way and I I think I think COVID has kind of changed a lot of people where they're not coming back to their job and they're looking for a different direction and I think people are looking for more of what you've been describing here is just kind of we'll figure it out, you know, let's go, let's do, let's see, let's experience. And, and we'll figure it out when we, when we go on. All right. I got a little bit of time here and I got about 4,000 questions. I didn't okay. get to like I'll any, be tight. any of the questions. No, no, no. Uh, I wonder if we could do this again. Yeah. I'd love to anytime. And I'll, I'll, I'll come on. Cause I have this fun thing that I do, but it, it's going to take too much time. And I, ha- yeah. I ask you these really tough questions and you yeah. have to tell me the truth. You can't lie to me, and, but you have to agree to do it. So, so I agree. I, oh, shoot. Let's go through it. All right, let's do it. Okay. And I'll know if you're lying, just so you know. Yeah. So, up to the right, right? Yeah. Well, I have other ways too. I'm not, I'm going to tell you what they're, uh, who, oh, shoot. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm going for this. Um, if you could go back in time and you have to go back in time, what athlete would you want to watch and why? God, there's so many that come right to mind. 
you know, part of me goes to like Jackie Robinson because it was, I can only imagine the challenges he faced every time he walked into a stadium. Part of me goes to Joe Montana. I grew up such a fan of his. I was a Niners fan just to watch him work. And then I'd love to kind of be a fly on the wall. You hear all those stories about Jordan and Kobe when they get to work early and then a teammate would try to beat him. Right. right? And they'd let him know like, yo, bro, slow it down, slow your roll. Like I, I, I'd like to observe that. Um, you know, I, I know that Brady just retired, but God, he just seems like such a fun teammate. You know, I think I'd like to observe that. So I'd probably go down those couple roads uh, initially. Uh, okay, I'm going to switch it up. If you could go back in time, what person in, in history would you want to meet and why? Not a sports figure. You got to go back, though, before you were born. I mean, it's like the book, man, Search for Meaning. You know, like Viktor Frankl, there's a part there. My grandparents were both Holocaust survivors. Oh, wow. So there's something about that. I've always, that, that to me has always been like my superpower. You know, like, you don't know. It's kind of like, you don't know where I came from. Like, I, I can outlast anything. So I, I, I'd probably go down there, like down one of those roads. I'd love, to me, I love asking people about, hey, when you met adversity, what did you learn? I don't need to necessarily hear about that adversity, but what did you learn? Um, whether it's an athlete or whether it's a historical figure. So I, I probably go, I probably go there. If you, interesting, if you were, uh, if you were driving down the road, and you came upon a bag of money. This happened, by the way. It actually happened in Virginia. And there, the, the, the money's not marked. Uh, there's no identification. It's just straight cash. No one will ever know that you took, that you have the money. It's a million dollars. What do you do? You just leave it there? Do you take it? What do you, what do, you do with the money? I would do the following. So our, our son, my, my wife came up with this idea three or four years ago. She was like, let's give him a variety of different piggy banks and like jars for cash, one for him, like what's Zane's fund, what's for other kids and what's for your future. So I would probably take that money, probably call the authorities first and be like, hey, found this. And if it was as clean as you said, I'd come back and I would try to use it as a teaching tool for our kids, definitely our oldest because our youngest is 18 months, 19 months. So probably wouldn't get it and give it away. You know, like I, I really would like karma to me is huge. And um, I, I think I would I'd love to think I would go down that road and show him what it's like to give. And, and I go back to the Holocaust example. My my mom's dad went bankrupt and we watched it happen. And it's because he gave away all these IOUs. He had like a supermarket when he came over to America and we watched it happen. Like in real time, all these homeless people would be at a store and they just, hey, I'll pay you. I'll get you back tomorrow. And he just went absolutely bankrupt and he would always always tell me like life is nothing without love and he would just look me in the eye give it away man and uh there's a phrase in hebrew called tikkun alam which is repair the world right you were talking about politics earlier uh, i love that phrase you know how can you do it and if you're given that type of money I'd, i i would hope i would find a way to repair the world now who knows what that what that would mean like if my world is all jacked up then maybe i would try to repair my world right like i don't know but i would hope that i would use it to teach our kids something. What have you given away? Well, that's a good question. I hope I give and give and give every experience I have away. I don't have a lot. Like 
give you a shirt off my back. I don't have a ton of money. I don't come from money. I don't have any of that stuff. Um, but I believe that our only goal in life is to give everything away. But to give anything, you got to go gain it. You got to go seek it. That's why when I talk to quarterbacks, I'm always like, what are you seeking, man? What are you interested in? Because I think if you don't seek experiences, relationships, knowledge, new recipes, whatever, you got shit to give away. Excuse my language. So I hope I give everything, whether it's to a broadcast, I, I pour, I try to pour out of it, right? Or my, my marriage, I try to pour out of it. So I, I'm trying to just give everything I got. And I think it's because I didn't have a lot which I like, like, like it's weird now with, with kids, right? If you have some success, you had dramatic success. I've had decent success. Like it's not like our kids have a challenging life right now. So you try to curate a little bit of challenge and adversity for them. So they know that it doesn't grow on trees and you don't just get, you know, ice cream or a croissant every time you want one. So I I don't know. It's, I'd be curious what people would say about me. Some of my people in my world, like, Hey, what have you given us? Cause I don't have a car. I don't have a, philanthropy project that I could create and build a website. I don't have that stuff, man, but I hope I give everything I, whatever is in me, I hope I'm given. I found that um, when I'm giving whatever it is, my time, my thoughts, my insight, my money, my service, you know, whatever that I, I, I've never been sad about that. Yeah. You know, it's, it all, I always feel good inside. Like it makes me happy. You know, and, and it's like, uh, you know, you talk about just kind of that love and that compassion for people. And you find that in, when you give, when you give things, when you, when you give, you serve people. And uh, I think, I think that's, if, if, if I was going to change the world, that's how I would change the world. Uh, that if everyone spent their time helping one another, they'd be happier. And our world would just be such a, a better place um, yeah that's good good question um what's your biggest regret in life the only real regret i have in life is not really trying out for the nfl and that's on me but i also believe that like coaches jobs are to breathe that opportunity into your players and not fan the flames of it yeah you know when i got to sc pete would be like damn like there's a guy like you on every roster. Cause I'd still be working out with the team. I was still right. training, still running routes of practice. And I was like a guy like me. And then you start studying the league. And I, I didn't even watch the NFL when I was in college. I could care less. I was all about college football. Still am really. Yeah. Um, I wish I gave it a shot. And, I, and a scout from the Ravens came into SC one day and was like, Hey, how come you never tried out? Killed me. <laughs> Kill. And I, w- I would have been Britain, right? I'm not, you know, right. not even close to his talent level. You know, I would have been the last guy on a roster, but Damn, I wish I wish I tried. Yeah, it's uh, how you know. It was just a dream. Like it was like like I wrote it down in the sixth grade. It was my career choice in the sixth grade, right? And I just mm-hmm. always felt like I was going to do it. And and when I got there, watching these guys and how good they were, I the first the first mini camp right after I got drafted, like three or four days after I got drafted and here I'm watching Dan Marino, Mark Clayton, Mark Duper. And I'm, I, I'm go, there's no way I'll ever do that. Like these guys are just like, I'll never make this. Like I, I just should just go home right now. And, and so here I'm drafted. Right. And, and I, and I'm like, and, and, and I, and I just remember thinking, okay, this is your shot. 
right? You just have to go for it, right? And so I just, I just committed, I'm, I'm in, I'm going, I'm doing this. And it wasn't till my fourth year of playing in the NFL. And, and I, I backed up Dan Marino, so I didn't really play. Like my, my Super Bowl was the preseason, right? I'm, I'm like, you know, this is, I got to make the team right here, you know, it was, it was like everything. And, and I finally got a chance to play and, and, it, and it was this surreal moment for me when I go, oh, I belong here. But until I had that moment, man, it, I just didn't know that I could do it. You know, I really, for, for me, the regret is, because I was a really good baseball player and I've always wondered, could I have played major league baseball? Mm. I've always, and I watch it and I just go, oh man. And, I, and I've had, you know, thoughts of trying to do it and, I, you know, I played two sports in college for a time and, and, and I, and I gave it up and I love baseball. And, and so I, I get, I get that. I really do. Really interesting. All right. Um, last question from your whole life experience. So everything you've gone through in your life, what is the one message that you want to share with people about what you've learned so far in life? If you had one thing to say, your dying breath, this is what you need to know, what is it? Wow. My dying breath changed my initial answer when you said that. Sorry. Uh, yeah, no worries. Um, I think my dying breath, I hope I would say something like, um, kind of like what my mom said. My mom taught me that phrase, Tikkun Olam, which is repair the world. However it is you choose. I can remember showing her rough cuts of the series I did with our friend Rick Haskins on the CW right before she passed away. And she watched it and a single tear streamed down her eyes. And she was frail as can be, man. This is in the pandemic, seasons postponed. So I'm in Pennsylvania. And she goes, you're doing just that. Telling these stories, you're doing just that. So if my kid is a painter or a teacher or an athlete or uh, you know making sweet lattes, like whatever he's doing – I would say live with Tikkun Olam, like live and, and repair the world with whatever it is that you do. And I, I, I think about that phrase all the time. I have it above my office here. And it's, it's really powerful if you think about like, all right, what am I doing today? Like, am I, am I helping the world? And I think that's a really big question to ask yourself. But if we shrink the, our world, it's a much more manageable question. Right, so my world is my wife's out of town. I got two boys. That's that's my whole world right now. Like, is the baby still taking a nap? Yeah. Right, like I'm I'm repairing the world. I'm teaching them. We're walking. We're playing. Like, so so it's digestible. Versus, am I trending on social media because I made this epic video that Netflix bought for thirty million dollars? Like, no. Like, are you repairing the world, your world? And and I think that is what I would hope I would leave my boys with. And and then I would say cremate me, put me in the ocean and have a party on your surfboard and put me out in the sea somewhere in Indonesia and let's have a, let's have a good time. All right. We'll leave it at that. Uh, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. And seriously, I got so much more I'd love to, to dive into and love to have you come back. And of course, I'd be happy to, to come on your podcast and uh, share some of my crazy experiences as well. I love it, man. I'm going to give your number to our producer and uh, he'll be texting you trying to awesome. find a day. All right. Happy to do it. All right, Helmets Off is now off. Uh, go to the, uh, at the, the Helmets Off podcast on Facebook and uh, at the Helmets Off show on Twitter. 
make sure you subscribe because uh, we love us. We've been doing it a long, long time. Thank you again, Yogi, and uh, we'll catch y'all later. Years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.